not just now, but through the days and weeks and months. Thank you, Lord, for Mark and his ministry at Derbyshire House through the Salvation Army with reaching out to many, many struggling people. Lord, we pray you'll give him strength and wisdom and refreshment. Thank you for his time as part of our community here and thank you for his preparation. And may you give us new light to understand in your ways through our, his talk this morning. Amen. Amen. So, um, the um, scripture that, that was shared earlier, I, I guess, is, is one that maybe would be, be rather difficult to understand. It's a very poetic um, piece of scripture. But hopefully this morning, by the time we go from here, we'll have a much clearer understanding of what, um, what that scripture is saying to us and the challenge that it, is, it places before us. I guess as we journey through this Advent season um, as we, and we anticipate the arrival of Christmas, one word I guess that would sum up Advent is waiting. Waiting with eager expectation. Now, I guess for many children, they are eagerly anticipating um, Christmas um, coming in the next couple of weeks, maybe doing um, fun things at school, um, parties, etc. So for children, eager expectation. This idea of expectation means that we are eagerly looking forward to something, hopefully something, something that promises good things to come for us. Of course, if we're expecting bad things to come, it fills us instead with a sense of dread rather than hope. And of course, we're aware, aren't we, that there are those for whom Christmas is more an expectation that brings about a sense of dread than of eager expectation. Think of the homeless, the hungry, the dispossessed, the weary, those whose lives are dominated by hurt and anger and resentment from broken relationships and from love denied or betrayed, and those whose lives have become disrupted and disjointed by war and terror. But for most of us, life brings some mixture of dread or at least anxiety and eager expectation. It's the things that we dread that call into question often the meaning and even the worth of our lives. And sometimes it's not so much an actual dread, but more a matter of simple boredom that threatens life's meaning and worth. We need to have something that we're looking forward to, something that we're hoping for if life is to have joy. I don't know what plans you have for next year, but maybe there are things that you are looking forward to with eager expectation next year. God created us to need times of expectation to give meaning to our lives. So let me ask this morning, what is it that you are waiting for? For Christmas to come? For presents to open? For family gatherings? But very shortly, we will, we will soon turn to other expectations as we move into the new year. And then before we know it, we'll be looking forward to spring and to Good Friday, the celebration of Easter. What an abundance of expectation lies before us. 
We who worship the Christ child born in Bethlehem stable are blessed with a wealth of expectation, surprises that are worth waiting for, hoping for, joys that linger long after Christmas. But as we look at our scripture this morning, what was the prophet Isaiah looking forward to, waiting for, eagerly anticipating? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth so let's put this passage of scripture in some kind of context in the time of Isaiah writing these words it was not a happy time for the people of Israel the Assyrians were encamped right across the border, ready to pounce and destroy Jerusalem and carry God's people into captivity. The glorious tree that had been Israel under King David is now about to be reduced to a stump. And so in this context of despair, Isaiah looks for something to grow out of this stump. What was he waiting for in his time? What expectations did he have for that child who was born in Bethlehem's stable. And so Isaiah goes on and paints this vivid picture of what he was waiting for. He was looking for the coming of someone who would be filled with the Spirit of God and therefore full of counsel and divine might, of knowledge and understanding, who had put an end to all evil by his coming. And, and that passage of Scripture reminds us that two things will characterise this special one righteousness and faithfulness righteousness in the old testament always refers to making sure that the poor and the meek get their their fair share of course we know that doesn't happen much in the world today but that is isaiah's eager expectation as he envisions the coming of the messiah in the christ child righteousness will be the girdle of his waist the poor will be fully provided for and, then, uh, and those who cannot speak for themselves will have their needs taken care of. And faithfulness, all this will come about according to Isaiah because faithfulness will be the girdle of his loins. Faithfulness has to do with sticking with the agenda to the very end, no matter what comes. But it's not just his own agenda that this one this Christ child is faithful to is God's agenda that he sticks with God's agenda for righteousness and justice for everyone in the world and we know that that Christ child stuck with God's agenda to the very end death by crucifixion and for Isaiah one expectation gives rise to another as he contemplates a world where justice and righteousness prevail not just occasionally or for a brief time, but everywhere and always, the prophet's eager expectation rises to magnificent heights. He pictures a world that he longs for in the depths of his being, a world full of real and lasting peace. It is the shalom that all Israel earnestly desired. And in that world of righteousness and justice, the wolf, says Isaiah, shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. In this uh, painting 
by Edward Hicks, we see something of this scripture captured as we see uh, these different animals who are, I guess, um, in nature would all be um, enemies here, sitting down has one, united. And uh, this is the uh, picture that Isaiah paints for our world in the coming of the Christ, a child. And so the expectations like these, where Isaiah sees long-standing enemies dwelling together in harmony, a child leading a wolf and a lamb, leading a leopard and a baby goat, can you imagine your child walking fearlessly up to a wolf, a leopard or a lion, or putting his hand into the hole in the ground where a poisonous snake lives, or playing around the nest of an adder? Isaiah says, They shall not hurt and destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And with expectations like these, of the one who would come in the name of the Lord. No wonder Isaiah could hardly wait for Christmas to come. And we today still have those same expectations as we look for the coming of the child born in Bethlehem. More than Isaiah could, we have seen his righteousness, his concern for the poor, as he proclaimed, Blessed are you, poor, for yours are the kingdom of heaven. And again, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we have seen his faithfulness. Jesus remained faithful to his mission from God, not just when it was easy and popular with the crowds, but also when everyone walked away from him, even Peter. He remained faithful to God's calling all the way to the end, even to death on a cross. So as Christmas approaches, as we continue this journey of Advent. I'd ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? Does that Christ child in the manger excite your expectations? I guess for so many of us who've grown up in church, we go almost, I guess, through the motions, Christmas and Easter. We know the story so well. We know the theme so well. And sometimes maybe we are we, we don't have maybe the same expectations because we know the end of the story. But what are you waiting for? Does that babe in the manger excite your expectations? Has, it, has he did Isaiah's? What are you waiting for that you want right now? Wouldn't it be fantastic if tomorrow... We woke up and discovered a world in which all the poor had plenty, the hungry had more than enough to eat, there was no war, no one suffered injustice. Israelis and Palestinian Syrians happily shared their land together. Iranians and Saudis were living peacefully within their own borders. ISIS fighters had laid down all their guns and prejudice and bigotry was a thing of the past. How many of us would like to wake up tomorrow morning to that kind of world? That's Isaiah's her vision. That's the expectation that excites us too, or should excite us too, as you worship the child born in Bethlehem and long for the coming of his kingdom. But what do we do and what can we do with those expectations? 
Perhaps we can best do what Isaiah himself had to do. Wait. Wait for God's coming into our world to fully accomplish his purpose with this world. A world that God so deeply loved and continues to love. That he, that he, that he sent his only son to be born into it. Waiting is what Christmas teaches us to do. But as we know, waiting can often be an enduring frustration. Waiting is not something that comes easily for any of us. But waiting for the coming of God's kingdom, the coming of the Christ, is what belongs to the heart of faith. In the Psalms, there are more than 40 verses that commend waiting. In waiting, we acknowledge that this world belongs to God and that he is taking care of it and we're going to continue to take care of it even when we cannot see it or understand it. Waiting for the coming of God's kingdom expresses the conviction that God himself who created the world will set all things right again. Because Christ has come and is coming again, Christmas keeps alive the expectation that peace will come to our world with righteousness and justice for all. Faith-infused waiting keeps us from losing heart. And it also reminds us that it is not only by our cleverness and hard work that this will be accomplished, but only by the sovereign God who moves in mysterious ways. And so we wait with eager expectation. But as we wait, we realise also that waiting also implies watching. Many of Jesus' parables and his references to the end times call on his followers to be watchful in their waiting. So waiting is not some passive inactivity. To be waiting for Christmas, for his coming into our world, involves keeping our eyes open, staying alert, watching. So the question of what are you waiting for, what am I waiting for, becomes also a question of what are you watching for? When we stand or kneel before the Christ child in the manger and raise our hopes for what he will accomplish, then we keep our eyes open for signs of his coming in, in and to our world. And I would suggest that wherever we see, see indications of kindness, of love, of compassion, of concern for justice, there we see, we recognise signs of God's coming. When we see a falsely convicted prisoner set free, when we see another human reaching out to feed a hungry family, when we see clothing being distributed to those in need, when we see peacemakers at work in areas of conflict, then let's let our faith be renewed. These are indeed signs of God's love and Christ's righteousness at work in surprising places in our world, offering the promise of something much bigger and much better yet to come. And we all have a part to play. There is so much more to waiting than watching. Waiting then becomes a matter of working for what we are hoping for. Not the kind of working that makes us think we are the builders of the kingdom of God. That's God's work. But we are to be signs that point to that coming day of justice and peace. We who follow Jesus and believe in him become ourselves signs of his coming. I wonder if you've ever thought of yourself as a sign. But our lives, our witness, are signs of his coming. When we reach out 
to the homeless, in caring love, to the poor, to the hurting, then we become signs in the world that that day is coming, that day of righteousness and justice. And the most worthwhile thing that any of us can do is to live in the light of that promised coming. It's by how we live that we keep hope alive in and for our world. And our lives from beginning to end are signs that God is at work in our world. Emmanuel, God with us, is the expectation that Christmas keeps alive in us and through us, in our world and for our world. As well as us, has believers been signs of his coming? Another way that hope is kindled is when God's spirit stirs in our souls. And the thought arises in our minds. It does not have to be this way. It does not have to be this way, not only because life is always susceptible to change, but, it do, but also it does not have to be this way because in God empowers us, his church, to get up and do something about it. It's easy, isn't it, to look back at this year and, and, and be swamped and overwhelmed with all what we have seen and heard, um, war, in, injustice, violence, and it's so easy to lose hope in that context. And easy for us to say, it is just the way it is. But we are called to think the opposite. It does not have to be this way because God gives you and I the power to get up and do something about it even in the smallest ways. The church, you and I, are to be the bread that is society. We are to be the force of light that spreads compassion, advances justice and promotes peace. And people of faith can do this because we are on the side of what is right and true and good. And because we are not alone in trying to improve life for all. The author Thomas... Carhill writes these words which are a really powerful statement for us this morning. As we look out across our earth we see many signs of despair, poverty, hunger, a population explosion of of enormous proportions but then he begins to sound like a biblical prophet when he observes but we also see signs of hope. The future may be germinating today, not in a boardroom in London or in an office in Washington or in a bank in Tokyo, but in some small outpost or an, or an orphanage in the foothills of Peru, a house for the dying in the back streets of Calcutta, a French team working to support those in the Sahara. All of these The future may be germinating in some unheralded corner where a compassionate human being is committed to loving outcasts in an extraordinary way. I wonder if you see your life and your witness in that way, that your life and your witness in some unheralded corner is a sign of God's coming. Of course, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, 
A mighty wind blew through the lives of those first disciples and they remembered the words of the prophet Joel who said that God's spirit will be poured out. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So friends, in the church, we, do not, we should not accept and we do not accept the state of the world has a given. We glimpse visions of the world as God intends for it to be. And those visions should infuse us with hope for a better day and the determination to join God in making it a reality. Let's pray. For many of us, it is hard to wait your coming with hope and joy for there's so much that defies your vision for creation. But in this time of gathering darkness, when day, day fades quickly into night and the shadows of despair descend upon us, we seek your light in every corner of your world. We pray that you will send hope upon those who are weighed down by injustice or weary from grief. Send your peace upon neighbourhoods torn by violence and communities embroiled in conflict. Send your joy into hearts that are broken and lonely and your love upon those in need of compassion. Fill each one of us with your hope, your peace, your joy and your love that we might bear witness to the one who comes, who is the light of the world. Give us courage to carry Christ's light into the world until sorrow flees away and every parched place breaks forth in song. Amen. As we uh, spend some moments in reflection this morning on, on God's word, we're going to hear a beautiful song. This is a this is a song based on maybe what some of Mary's thoughts were as she uh, as the angel came to her and uh, spoke to her of the fact that she would be carrying the Christ child, and it, it is a beautiful song that challenges us to allow the events of Bethlehem to be birthed in our own lives. And as we uh, listen to this, and we allow God to speak to us, as always our place of prayer is open this morning.
That's pain. Father God, that indeed would be our prayer today and for future days that we allow our heart to be your Bethlehem. That we allow the Christ child to be born into our lives once again at this season of Advent. Father, help us to be those signs of your coming in our lives as we go from this place into our day-to-day lives. May our, our lives be those signs that speak of your coming again. Lives that show compassion and grace and forgiveness and healing. So, Father, continue to journey with us in these days of Advent, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.